Hey, everybody out there listening. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. We are always glad to have you listening. I am Brent Smith. Um, as always, I am joined by Mr. Jacob Kingsley. Say hello, Jacob. Hey, how's everybody doing? Not too bad. And how about you, Daniel Yelverton? Welcome back. I'm doing great, Jacob. How about you? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for asking. We've missed you. Anytime. I know, I've missed you guys too. <laughs> so everybody, Daniel is back. He has been out for a few podcasts now. Um, a few weeks, he was at home with um, the missus, and they had a new baby girl mm-hmm. recently, so uh, congratulations. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> if I sound sleep deprived, it's because I am. It's because you and are. And if you hear my head hitting the microphone, I did fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some water we'll pour it on what you. What would that sound like? Okay. <laughs> My hat ran into it. Oh, there you okay. go. There yeah. it is. Picked up a little. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we are happy to have Daniel back with us to um, get into the book of Philippians and discuss chapter two. It is Tuesday, January 16th. And um, I don't know, do you guys have anything that you want to talk about before we get into it? Recap anything like before? We're flying through these books. These books aren't super long. And so sometimes I'm coming to this podcast i'm like man we didn't get to talk a whole lot about it so we have to cram a lot in but we're blazing through the new testament mm-hmm. yeah and i love the just going through these the meat of the epistles here there's just there's so much that we could talk about there's so much that we could dive into and um and so i think that we just want to encourage you guys to continue to keep um doing the chapter a day and continue to read the word every day because there's just so much to glean from it and um so yeah, but it's um, it does. It feels like we're really flying through this. So, I mean, is there any kind of a background that we need to give on Philippians before we get into it? Just so people know where mm-hmm. we are, where Paul is. So, he's in prison during this, this point in time, um, and, and he's talking about that, and he mentions that. Some people disagree if he's on his way to Rome or if he's in Rome awaiting trial, um, which would mean he's under house arrest, and that's the most likely answer. So, he... Is most likely writing to the church in Philippi, which is a city he's gone to. He's planted a church there in Acts 16, I believe, is where it talks about them being there. Luke, who wrote Acts, stays behind even longer to minister there. And so Paul has this deep connection with this city, and he's writing to them. And as you read through this, you're going to see it's not like the Corinthian letters where Paul is writing and he's admonishing them and he's saying you guys have got this all wrong even when he was writing galatians he was like there's some stuff that you need to work on when he's writing to the church in philippi he's like i love you guys like (laughs) just encouraging them Mm -hmm. and he talks about how much he wants to go back and see them and then we also see how he talks about how timothy is going to go there so it's almost this letter for them to anticipate timothy coming Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we do see in chapter one where he is um, referring to his situation that the whole Imperial Guard knows that he's imprisoned for Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about this before in previous podcasts, especially when we were going through Acts, about the, whatever the present situation is, that God is able to use us in those situations. And uh, it's awesome is that Paul, even though he's in chains in this moment, he is able to encourage these believers, not only in Philippi, but also us here, you know, 2,000 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, chapter two, Daniel, do you want to go ahead and start us and then we'll come yeah, counterclockwise? Sure. Counterclockwise, correct. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um, just so you know, I know we say this a lot, but we use the SOAP method. That's the read the scriptures, observe, 
application and then prayer. And so we'll just do two scriptures at a time and then kind of go from there. Mm. And we always read out of the ESV Bible, just so you know if you're following along with us. Uh, So Paul is bridging actually chapter 1 to chapter 2 here, and he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without a blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death but god had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest i should have to sorrow upon sorrow i am more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that i may be less anxious so receive him in the lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me so observations any thoughts, Daniel? I really like the um, when we were supposed to when Paul talks about us um, not having selfish ambition and looking out for not our own interests, not only our own interests, but the, also the interests of others. And I and I think that he brings in the wonderful example of obviously Christ and what he did and how he humbled himself. And um, I think that that's 
to me is really powerful because uh, it gives me a good perspective, especially when I don't want to look out for the needs of others or I feel like those people necessarily don't deserve me to look out for their interests. Maybe they've wronged me or maybe uh, we're just having, you know, relational issues or something like that. But you see how Christ, even though he was, you know, scorned and mocked and brutally beaten and died, he did it all with humility and he did it for us and for others. And so he had obviously our interest totally at heart. And if he was able to do that, I know that I know that's kind of stepping a little bit application a little bit, but it just kind of gives me the right perspective, especially when it comes to interacting with other people, because it's so often it's hard to look out for the needs of others over my own. Mm -hmm. I have something here that stuck out to me because he put an emphasis on it. Um, He says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then he emphasizes even death on a cross. Is that because the cross refers to going through the process of crucifixion? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I didn't know. Because I know, like, at that point, like, with the way we have, you know, the Mm -hmm. cross, the crucifix, is kind of a symbol. I don't Mm -hmm. know if back then it was as much yet. It was, I mean, it was definitely a symbol, but it was a symbol of, like, a horrific death. So I think he was emphasizing what he was willing to go to. Like, Mm -hmm. he didn't just, like, get stabbed and then he died. Like, he went through, like, the most painful and horrific Mm -hmm. death on the cross. So I think he was just drawing emphasis to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Painful and humiliating mm-hmm. that the Romans reserved it for like the worst criminals, the worst type of people. So it obviously was super painful, but it was also just like humiliating. So yeah, saying, it was a very what, long public execution. Yeah, that's what Jesus allowed himself to go through, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it also, um, one thing that we even read in, um, Ephesians was talking about uh, submitting to others out of reverence to Christ. It's in mm-hmm. um, Philippians five twenty one, and I think what's really cool here is that you see the contrast of Jesus and God. That even though they are equal to each other, Jesus didn't consider equality with with God something to be grasped, and so he submitted himself. He humbled mm-hmm. himself, and so he chose actively to take the servant or take the submissive role. And uh, I think when I see that a lot in relationships in like either the husband-wife relationship uh, about submitting to one another um, or about the opportunities for employee-employer relationships, Mm -hmm. how you can submit to each other out of reverence to Christ. And I think that there's a a part of us that uh, we resist that because it can almost be like an attack against our dignity that Mm -hmm. we would submit or we would take the low road or we would take the servant's role. But actually what you see here is that Christ didn't become any less dignified. In fact, he got glorified and exalted because he decided that he wanted to be a servant to all. And so I think that's kind of the up, the upside-down way that the kingdom of God works, how there is this kind of shift that happens where the last will be first, the first will be last, and those who want to, you know, be ahead of all wants to, needs to serve all. And so there's, I think we're getting another... A taste and another, uh, I guess, reiterating what mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is actually like. And so for me, that's a that's a big part of the scripture, that they were still equal. Uh, and that can go even in like, especially if you take that to Ephesians 5, you can take that to like the husband and wife relationship and how there can be issues with 
like um, submission, but the mutual submission is actually a good thing, and that it's a, it's an exalting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really cool because it doesn't it's not an attack on Christ's dignity for what he did. If anything, it made him more exalted and more glorified mm-hmm. because he took the role of a servant. And uh, we're talking about, you know, following that example of, of Christ living in humility. And I think an important question, this goes into the observations, is why? Why do we want this mindset? Um, why is it important that we live in humility? And a big theme um, in these first two chapters is unity within the body of Christ, that Paul um, is just encouraging the church to stay unified and how that works is through selfless love that you can't have true unity if people are selfish if people are concerned about themselves mm-hmm. all the time and then going back into chapter one i know it's not the chapter for today but in verse 27 he says just one thing live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ and this is another big theme is paul is reminding the church that there was a price that was paid that um, when christ humbled himself that was a large payment for your salvation and so we need to live in light of that that we don't just get to do whatever we want and act the way we want but that we should be living in a manner that reflects that so um another um couple of verses that really stood out to me was verses 12 through 13 where he says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, and I think that's really important because as we were talking about how Paul came in and planted this church, he was such a spiritual authority and spiritual leader to them. And he's saying, listen, just because I'm gone doesn't mean that you shouldn't be learning, that you shouldn't be in community, but that there's action on our own part. Um, to continue to see how God's salvation can be made even more real in our lives and in our actions. And then he says with, uh, with fear and trembling, which is like not something we often associate with salvation because salvation is associated with rejoicing and love and all this. And he's like, no, like it's serious. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back to the sacrifice that Christ made, his attitude in saying this is not something that's just light and fluffy, um, that it's it's some serious stuff that as you work out your salvation, um, it's it's a legitimate thing. Hmm. And I think also what's what's really cool as he kind of segues into how God actually accomplishes that, um, because I think it's like when you hear working out your own salvation, you think of all the list of things to do mm-hmm. that are associated with that, and then Paul immediately shoots that down and. Actually, I love the way the New Living Translation says, verse 13, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And it's cool because it's like, uh, going back to what we've always been talking about, and especially in the Gospels and in the Epistles, about justification through faith. You know, that it's not God did all of this work. That uh, Ephesians 2, you know, that it's a, uh, that no one can boast that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. And so it's amazing to think that even though we're working out the salvation that God has given us uh, with that kind of awe, with that fear and trembling, 
but God is the one that's doing it. God's mm-hmm. the one that's working in us as we allow him to work in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what's pleasing him. Mm-hmm. And I like that because for me, sometimes I feel like there's that, that war of desires. Like I have that flesh kind of rising up and I'm like, oh gosh, I keep messing up. Like, mm-hmm. why do I keep doing this? And uh, often I feel like I'm trying to fix myself by just mentally saying, Daniel, you don't want to do this anymore. And that doesn't ever really work out that well. But as I submit more and more to God's power working in me, he gives me the ability to change my desires and also to have the power to do what's pleasing him. And so that encourages me because often uh, I grew up with that mentality of I've got to do, I've got to do, and I kept disappointing. I felt like myself and God. And so I would live kind of in this like, shroud of condemnation mm-hmm. and this verse says no it's it's god working in you god's mm-hmm. the one that's doing it and he's giving you the power and the desire to do what pleases him which is awesome it's not even that like he's giving you the desire to do what's right he's going to be like yes like i'm so pleased that i get to work in and through you like god is almost like i feel like there's like a joy and anticipation on God's perspective to be able to work through us. Mm-hmm. And that just feels so powerful and so, um, I don't know, so so honoring and so amazing that God would choose me to be that vessel. Mm-hmm. Huh. And the very next verse, um, well, verses, I guess, 14 into 15, um, that's something that I, I struggle with, with, I guess, spiritual maturity, where if I get in something that is stretching out like you know Paul's in chains for how long you know he deals with all this stuff for how long um and you know I'll I'll be good for a while keeping it in mind you know don't um it says do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent um man I start grumbling and disputing after a while <laughs> I've just yeah. had enough I mean how, I think it would be awesome to be able to get to the point where you just don't have that breaking mm-hmm. point of your flesh basically you know coming through anymore that's something i struggle with a lot Mm -hmm. and he goes on to say right afterwards you know talking about how we're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation Mm -hmm. and from almost two thousand years ago as paul's writing to the city and just in that context every generation since then even before then was somehow a crooked and twisted generation we We are now living in a crooked and twisted generation. He says that when we do that, when we do all things without complaining or grumbling, that that's what makes us shine as lights in the world. And I think that that can be a big complaint that people have with Christians is they're like, they just seem grumpy all the time. They seem put down. They seem, you know, frustrated all these things because like you were saying, sometimes we feel like we have this list of things to do to work out our salvation. We don't meet it, at least to frustration. And I was even just thinking the other day as, you know, New Year's and New Year's resolution that some people have like swear jars. Okay, every time you cuss, you put it in. I was like, what if I had a complain jar? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be losing a lot of money. So <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> On the trip to Cabo or something. Yeah, yeah, seriously. But I mean, it's so easy to complain. And when we complain, when we're disgruntled, when we dispute, that tears and that puts rifts in churches and local churches in the body of Christ. And so as Paul's trying to get us to be unified, selfishness, grumbling, complaining, and disputing have no place. That if we want to look and see what authentic community looks like, that looks like being grateful, rejoicing, instead of disputing and complaining, which is tough. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that it... Sorry, I was away from the mic for a second. <laughs> and, I, and I love the way that it even just circles back to the attitude of Christ. Because I think... 
if I'm shooting for humility, if I'm shooting to serve others, if I'm looking out for the interest of others over myself, I will probably not be a person that you would think would be complaining or grumbling. Mm -hmm. Because you complain and you grumble when you feel like you're being shortchanged, when you feel like you're not getting uh, what you deserve, and when you probably are struggling more with pride than with humility. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I love that it's this is... You know, if we take this attitude uh, that Christ has and we have his wonderful example, it's not like God is asking us to do this and he's not giving us something to go off of. Like we have mm-hmm. Christ's example in everything that he did. So if we say, all right, here's the promise that we have from God. When we live in humility, he's going to exalt us. He's going to honor us because he did that with Christ. Mm-hmm. And also, we're going to be a light to the generation because we're not going to be like everyone else who is struggling because they deserve or they feel like they deserve. And so they're going to complain and they're going to grumble. And so it's almost like we get the benefit of receiving so much from God, but then we also get the amazing benefit of being a part of revealing himself to humanity by the fact that we're not complaining or grumbling. And Mm -hmm. that's seems really simple because especially when you ask somebody like all right well how do i tell somebody about jesus i wonder if you could just say don't complain and don't grumble and then see what happens mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i wonder like if that's yeah. gonna it, like maybe there's a, a simple simple way to just kind of interact with people to be that light that paul is kind of talking about mm. and i think it is it hinges or it's founded on that idea of lord help me to be humble mm-hmm. like you christ uh, with the people that I interact yeah. with, with my coworkers, with my spouse, with my kids, mm-hmm. with my friends, help me to be humble and look out for their interest over my interest. Yeah. And I think you said something in there talking about sometimes we feel entitled. And n- entitlement is the exact opposite of the mind of Christ. That literally it starts off and he says, even though he was God, he didn't count that as something to be grasped. And some translations say something to use for his own advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, almost everybody struggles with entitlement. And this isn't just, you know, a race issue that Christians struggle with spiritual entitlement, thinking that because we're Christians, we shouldn't have to deal with certain things. And um, also in our culture, we love to validate. And somebody complains and we feel like if we want to be a good listener and a good friend, we have to tell them that they're completely justified in what they're feeling. And so when we complain, we're constantly looking for people to justify our feelings. And so when we're in those situations where we're complaining or grumbling, like you said, we feel like we've been shortchanged. But Jesus was God. He should have never had to go through anything that he went through. Any of those things that he humbled himself to, he didn't have to go through, but he did. And so when we're complaining, what do we feel like we shouldn't have to go through? We shouldn't have to go through a tough time at work, that our family life is a little bit tough, that there's tension, all these different things we feel like we're entitled to better, and that's not the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. I love the connection here, even later on down when Paul's talking about Epaphroditus and how he was, uh, uh, which the name you could totally mess up, and it can be something totally different, but we'll just say Epaphro. We'll just call him Epaphro. So Epaphro, how he uh, got sick, almost died, and uh, and he made up for what was lacking, I guess, in the work of Christ which is really weird because you think that sounds heretical that it would make up what was lacking and what Christ has done. But what's interesting is that Paul is talking about us being a light to the world and representing Christ in our humility. And so Epaphroditus, even though he was sick, he wanted to continue with the ministry and continue, and he sacrificed his health, he sacrificed his potential life for the work of the ministry. And so he is 
almost completing or he's not he's showing what Christ wants is doing and wants to do in and through people and so when we in turn are able to kind of carry on that light we're able to carry on that ministry through humility through not complaining and grumbling through sacrifice and serving others we're we're being Christ to people where Christ necessarily wasn't physically present. He's no, you know, we are Christ now. Christ, it's Christ living in us and working through us. Uh, Paul talked about that in Galatians, and so we're kind of backtracking a little bit to that. Galatians two twenty, and so he's, uh, it, it's cool that we're able to almost continue the ministry of mm-hmm. Christ by the sacrifice that we make for others for the sake of the gospel, and and so. What can be either discouraging or not feel like you're really accomplishing anything or feel like it's, you know, I don't know why I need to constantly endure these people or different things like that, whether at work or coworkers, that we can actually take courage or even take encouragement from this story that we read about in Paul's time because he is, he is doing, uh, he's being Christ physically present in that moment for Paul and for those people. And so mm-hmm. we can take the actions that we're doing and translate as that we are being Christ physically present for those people. And uh, and it can almost give us that extra oomph to continue to endure, to continue to submit, continue to love on and encourage people so that we get the opportunity to participate in that same revelation of Christ to those people. Hmm. Does that, that make sense? Or yeah. am I? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have something that just, it's kind of confusing to me and I'm, guessing it would be confusing to other people as well um uh verse 17 he says uh even if i am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith what does that mean (laughs) i don't know what a drink offering is compared to a sacrificial offering and it's it's the sacrificial offering of your faith so that's just anybody got that so i am not extremely well versed in this but what he's talking about is he's going back to the roots of jewish tradition um with the tabernacle um and the different types of sacrifices there wasn't just one sacrifice there were different um types of sacrifices to do at different points and so um if my understanding is correct the drink offering was to like over the top um and it was um, voluntary. It wasn't something, it wasn't a sin offering. It didn't atone for that, but it was an act, um, of gratitude unto God. And so basically what he's saying, and he also could be linking it to the last supper where, um, Jesus is saying my blood, um, this is a a sacrifice for you, like drink and, and remember of me. It's just another reminder of a sacrifice. He says, even if that happens, even if all of me is poured out, all of my energy, all of my life is given as that sacrifice of that selflessness, then I'm still going to rejoice with you. Um, and he says, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, sometimes in the Christian faith, we look at people giving up things. We look at missionaries who might give up their life in the United States, the comfortable, wonderful, the best country in the world, you know. Man, I feel so bad for them. And <laughs> Paul's like, no, you should rejoice when people are sacrificing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're forced to sacrifice stuff, and it's not even a sacrifice. Just in God's plan, things are taken away from us. Yeah. And it's not that that doesn't suck, um, because it does. 
but we should still rejoice that we are able to give something away for the cause of Christ. And that goes back to in chapter 1, in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That if we have that mindset, if we are living, we say, you know what? The only thing that is essential for this life is Christ. That is my life, is Jesus Christ. Not even my family, not even my job, nothing, not even my own safety. And when I die, I'm only going to gain more because then I'll actually be in the presence of God. Then that changes our outlook on everything. Then sacrifices in our life will no longer be hard. That we'll see everything for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And that's a crazy paradigm shift of our thinking mm. because there's so much in this world that we like to latch onto. There's so much that I enjoy and love and hold dear in this world. So what does this look like then to take what we're just kind of discussing here and extrapolate it, to put it into something that is applicable or that we could uh, we could use kind of in our daily life? I think one of the first steps is to take an inventory and and reflect on our life and maybe ask somebody who is close to you who will give you an honest opinion and say, do you see selfishness in me? Do you see me holding on to things? Do you see me grumbling when things don't go my way? Do you see me being resentful? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to give us a really good insight to where we're at. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're married, ask your spouse, and they will be completely honest with you. (laughs) Um, Maybe. Um, you know, ask, ask different people if you're plugged into, um, a family group, a 222 group, hopefully that is a great place where we can be honest and and challenge each other in our, um, daily walk and say, listen, do you, Paul's saying, let this mind of Christ be in you. Do you see me being humble, putting others before myself? And if the answer is no, that gives us an indication that we, there's some room for improvement. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no specific, um, uh, relationship application that Paul's giving us here in Philippians 2. He's basically just saying, look out for all the interests of people around you, which can really seem overwhelming. And uh, one thing that I don't always do, but if I get a chance, uh, if I enter like a new room or if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I might think of like, what can I do to like serve this person? Uh, what can I do to kind of look out for their interests? Because you can't really ask that question. You can. It might be kind of weird and vague, but like, Jacob, what are your interests today and how can I serve them? Or how can I like, how can I look out for your interest? You know, mm-hmm. you might be like, I have no clue, um, <laughs> which is probably pretty normal, uh-huh. but I think, yeah, exactly. But I think there's a, when we take that, that the road of, of submission and humility, uh, especially with like significant relationships, I think a great question is maybe as soon as you see your spouse, maybe coming home from work or from a long day or for whatever it may be, or uh, a friend or a family member uh, or a sibling, you can just say, how can I serve you? Like, mm-hmm. How can I serve you today? What is something that would you would feel great that I could do for you, I could serve you? In, a, in It may be a scary question because, you know, you don't know exactly what they're going to ask and you kind of put yourself out there because you've already said yes to really whatever <laughs> they put mm-hmm. out there because your, your intent is to serve them. Um, but I think that the encouraging thing is that we get from this chapter is that God exalts that attitude of humility mm-hmm. and that, that also he uses that, he uses that as a light in those relationships. And, um, and so I wonder if that, uh, if like just trying that, just walking into your boss's office, 
today or tomorrow or to a coworker or to your spouse and just say, how can I serve you today? What can I do tonight or in this moment that would be beneficial or be a blessing to you? And just kind of see what happens. See mm-hmm. what happens when you when you do that and see where that see what also the effect that that happens that has on their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like processing when you enter a conversation you enter that room are you the first person you're thinking of if so you're putting your interests ahead of everybody else so sometimes you know depending on your job it's going to be awkward to ask your boss how can i serve you your boss is going to be like what but mentally processing that mm-hmm. it's that it's that heart behind it for sure hmm. yeah that's a good point that could mm-hmm. get awkward it could and i think uh <laughs> just with this whole thing of humility sometimes um, Christians kind of misunderstand it and they think that you have to think of yourself as like this terrible person that everybody is just better than you and oh my goodness I'm never going to be as good as them and I forget who it was and somebody said it and it's kind of cliche but it's not thinking of yourself it's not thinking less of yourself because you have a status in Christ you are worthy you're valuable but it's thinking of yourself less how often are you thinking of yourself how to satisfy your own interests um, and your own needs? Or how often are you thinking of others, processing through that? And sometimes that's as simple as thinking of it and being in prayer for other people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always look like physically doing something. Mm-hmm. And then also encouragement is to know that you don't have to add this to the checklist of things to do. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to read a chapter a day. Oh my gosh, I got to tell everyone in that, hey, how can I serve you today? Oh, I like, sounds mentally exhausting, sounds mm-hmm. physically exhausting. Um, just take comf- comfort in the verse two uh, or chapter two, verse thirteen. That says, it's God, He's He's working in you. Mm-hmm. He's giving you the will and the power and the ability to do what's pleasing Him. Which what pleases Him is when He shows His love to others, and mm-hmm. we get a chance to be that. So take comfort in the fact that it's not going to be you to have to uh, come up with all of this power and ability to serve so many people around you. I think it's more of even just asking the question or being available and allowing God to have that access to work in and through you uh, because you are thinking about the needs of others over the needs of, you know, your own needs. That's a good end to the discussion. Um, Let's go ahead and close it out with prayer. Jacob, if you would go ahead and and close us out today. And Daniel... You want to send us off today? Sounds great. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your willingness to send Jesus Christ, um, that you would encourage, that you had a plan for him to be humbled in the way that he was, um, that even though it wasn't easy, um, that it's the only way that we are here today to have this relationship with you. And so I pray that as we look, as we see and learn about how Christ lived, what his attitude was like, that you would give us the strength, that you would continue to work in us to make that same attitude in us. Because it it doesn't come naturally. It's not our disposition. We don't wake up and seek that. And so I pray that you would continue to be strong in our lives through our weakness. And there's a lot of it. And so I pray for all the listeners that you would be with them today, continue to encourage them, affirm what you are doing in their lives, um, even if it's hard to see. I pray that just that we would live selflessly, that we would be unified around you and your son. God, we love you so much, and I pray that just more than anything, that we would fall more in love with you this week and that we would love others. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us today. 
uh, from Brent and Jacob and myself. We just uh, it's an honor for us to uh, be a part of your day. Uh, definitely uh, hoping that you guys have an awesome day and look forward to seeing you guys either this weekend or maybe next time on the podcast uh, for all of us at Elevation and Weekly Impact. See you soon. See you.